You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Church, uh, it's amazing for you guys to join us today. My name is Justin Shump, and, and I help serve in the uh, youth ministry here with the teens and also with the campus ministry. And, you know, we're just super excited to, to have you guys here today. We're continuing our uh, worship series called Songs of the Soul. And we've been going through different psalms and, and uh, really trying to kind of just, just milk them for all that the scriptures have. Uh, you know, we heard uh, two weeks ago from uh, an amazing brother, Tim Priestley, as he talked about songs of, of lament, kind of this idea of, of being in touch with our pain and, and really using that pain and, and allowing God to use that pain. Uh, and then last week, we heard an amazing lesson from Rick Meckhamson, who talked about a new song, how God has put... Uh, a new song on our hearts, and how actually as as a church we're going to be writing our own psalms, and it's super uh, super excited to see some of that stuff happen. So I know we've had a, a, two great sermons from two very mature, uh, very in touch with their emotions, spiritual, inspiring men. And sadly, I don't really fit any of those qualities. So if you're expecting three weeks in a row of that, you're only going to get two, and then now you're stuck with me. So hopefully. Uh, Hopefully it still turns out okay. But uh, the title for today's sermon is A Silent Scream. Uh, we're going to be reading out of Psalm 19. So I'll give you a second if you'd like to uh, turn over to Psalm chapter 19. And this is where we'll start reading. Scripture reads, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, much more pure than gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You know, this is an amazing psalm. It's, it's, it's really full. We're going to kind of dissect it a little bit and really trying to see what this, this psalmist is trying to get across to us. But he starts out with this kind of amazing picture of creation. He says that, that the heavens, the sky, they are declaring God's glory. 
That we can look at the stars, we can look at the things that God has created, and they pour forth speech. Now, this isn't a kind of a quiet whisper. This is a silent scream. You know, when you really look at, 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 at the Hebrew interpretation, what, what the initial author was saying, you know, it's this image of, of a gushing spring that overflows with, with sweet, refreshing waters of revelation. You know, during the day, they utter speech, and at night, the skies reveal knowledge. And what a perfect pairing to put knowledge with the night sky. Because you see, without the night sky, we would have only known an empty universe. If God did not place the stars and the planets and and these amazing things for us to look like, then the utter blackness of night would only communicate one thing to all humanity. You are alone. There's nothing else outside of this earth. But you see, God, he he put the stars in the sky and and he gave us this never-ending expanse to help, help us understand that there is something infinitely bigger than what we have here on this earth. You know, after this kind of amazing picture of of nature, the psalmist, he kind of makes this, this quick transition. It feels a little bit abrupt. He goes in, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. And he starts talking about how amazing God's word truly is. It's sweeter than the honeycomb. You know, there's this, this connection between the intricacy of creation and the intricacy of God's word. You know, both of these things, as we know, are divinely created. And what the psalmist is saying is that anything that is divinely created will ignite the human senses. You see, the psalmist is making a case that God is not just something we rationally accept. Belief in God is just not, it's not just cognitive acceptance of a, of a divine being. God is something you can feel. You can hear. You can see. God is not just known, He is experienced. You know, we see the glory of the heaven with our own eyes. We hear the skies as they pour forth speech and and reveal knowledge. We feel the warmth of the sun as it makes its path across the sky. We taste the flavor of His righteousness. A flavor that is so much sweeter than the sweetest honey. You know, the psalmist is saying that as humans, we have this connection to the creation. That the way we experience the world using our senses is a gateway to knowing God. And that is incredible. You know, many people, they they see nature as proof of a creator. 
You know, we can observe fractal geometric patterns in, in nature, in ourselves, in our lungs, in our brains, and tree branches. Uh, you can look at the Fibonacci secrets and, and, and its occurrence in nature and, and seashells and flowers, and you can look at that and say, there has to be a creator. This is too intricate of design to be random. You either need infinite amount of time for this randomness to occur, or you need a creator. Those are the only two options. And you know, whether you believe in some of those things or not, I think it's true that we all have this kind of connection to nature. Now, that might not mean that you love going out camping. My family was not really a camping family growing up. Uh, maybe you are a camping family, because if you're, you can throw it in the chat if you love camping, or maybe you don't love camping. I don't know. But you see, we have this deep connection to the world around us. Because either we are just random developments and and we're floating around on on a tiny speck in the middle of a never-ending expanse of nothingness. Or we're not. And if we are not, if we are supposed to be here on this earth, then everything on this earth has a purpose. Plants, animals, Water, sunlight, dirt, rocks, minerals, metal, wood, all of these, these things, these physical things that we can see and we can touch and we can experience, they all have a purpose. You see, these things are, are, are necessities. We need them for our survival. We cannot survive without them. And so we have this kind of innate, deep draw to these things. And these are the building blocks of all sustenance, of all expression, all art forms. Everything on earth that we like or enjoy or can ignite the things in our brain come from the things in this world. And they have a purpose. And you know, we desire to be close to these things. I think it's why we fill our houses with plants. You know, you probably right now in your living room or somewhere, you've got a, a nice tree that you went and picked out, or you have a fake tree, so you recycle it, use it every year. And you put the tree up, and you give it some water, and you put some nice lights on it, and some ornaments. And if you're super fancy, you put the tinsel on there, and you dress it up, and you look at it, and it just makes you happy. I don't know why. You just We do it every year. And I think the reason why we do it is not just because of, of obligation, I don't think obligation could stir on behavior every single year of your entire life. I think it would probably get boring at some point and kind of get old. But I think it's because we just kind of like having that tree in our living room. You like the feeling. You like the way it smells. For some reason, you just like it there. And, you know, we don't just do this with with Christmas trees. Obviously, it's the holiday season. We do it year-round. We like to have plants, or at least things that kind of uh, look like plants in our house. I mean, we've got this little thing on stage right now. Why is it here? I don't know, but it looks nice. Maybe you didn't even notice it, but it adds to the aesthetic. You know, I want to challenge you. Do a little thing. Take a pause real quick and look around your living room, whatever room you're in, and try and count all of the things that resemble something in nature. So whether it's a live plant or a fake plant or even just like a flower pattern 
on, on a pillow or, or anything you can see that kind of resembles something in nature, something outside, go ahead and count it real quick, and you can drop it in the chat, and let's see who can, uh, who thinks they have the most things of nature in their home right now. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, I went ahead and, and I did a little experiment myself, and I wanted to kind of find, okay, what were all the things, the nature things that, that Emma and I have in our apartment? So I did a little experiment, and, and here's what I found. So this is all of our Christmas stuff. We, it's our first, obviously our first Christmas together. We got married back in June. Uh, so we've got our wreath and on, on our front door, and we've got our Christmas tree in the bottom left, and then we've got our little centerpiece. We actually we made that ourselves. It was fun. Uh, and then we've got kind of an assortment of other trees, and, and you've got the thing that says joy. Uh, but a lot of the Christmas things are things with nature. Uh, these are some of kind of the year-round nature stuff. We've got obviously some little fake plants here. I know a lot of these were given as as wedding gifts. Um, the bottom left, we got that at, at Hobby Lobby. We love going to Hobby Lobby. I had never been to a Hobby Lobby before getting married, uh, but we like to go to Hobby Lobby. Uh, the top left is from our bathroom. I think it's kind of weird. It's like a bunch of flowers coming out of a bathtub. But for some reason, it looks really pretty. Uh, we've also got uh, a few other things. This is Those are some flowers in the bottom left. Uh, I bought for Emma. It was her uh, uh, four-year spiritual birthday uh, a few weeks ago. And then we've got some other just kind of random random plants. The, the middle one is made out of rubber bands. It says, grow through what you go through. Uh, just kind of a fun little thing there. Uh, but we love filling our, our house with plants. Because uh, to kind of last off, this is my little basil plant there on the left. Uh, it sits on the windowsill in our bedroom. Uh, I've been growing some fresh basil, and I'm planning to start a little garden in the new year. So that should be fun. Uh, this is our tissue box. So even our tissue box has got some stuff with plants on it. There's some kind of fall leaves because, you know, we want our tissue box to be uh, nice and pretty. And then finally, we've got our cranberry, uh, what I call poop spray. And that's what we spray in the bathroom, you know, when you want uh, the bathroom to smell like nature. Because as humans, we don't want the bathroom to smell bad. We want it to smell like nature. And so we've got uh, the cranberry poop spray for times that we need it. Uh, but this was all the kind of things we found in my home. Uh, again, it's something fun you can do. You can kind of look around and count all the things uh, that you find in nature, in your house. But what I kind of realized is that we have this natural connection to the nature around us. You know, we build homes to get out of nature, and then we bring that nature back to our home. You know, ultimately, this this right here is, is, is beauty. But when we, we build cities and we build our homes, we, we get out of this, but then we feel this draw to bring it back. And so ultimately, we have this desire for this, this kind of beautiful landscape, but, you know, we'll settle for the tissue box and the cranberry poop spray. And that will hopefully meet some, some deeper needs inside of us. You know, I really do believe that, that we do have this deep desire to be connected to God's creation. You know, I think it's because it gives us peace. For some reason, uh, peace is connected with nature. Connected with the quietness we see in a landscape like this. You know, we spend hours of our, of our days searching for knowledge trying to discern things. We read books, we watch videos, we get college degrees, 
and, and we try and understand the complex issues of the world. And what that does ultimately is it fills our mind with anxiety. We don't feel very peaceful. You know, I, I myself, I'm naturally, I'm a worrier. I struggle with a lot of anxiety, a lot of internal anxiety. And so on the outside, although maybe I seem like I'm fine, I'm actually stressed out of my mind. So for instance, I'm up right here and I'm giving this sermon and you might think, oh, he seems like he's fine. But about 20 minutes ago, I was jumping up and down. They saw me in the studio trying to get the jitters out because I was super nervous. Because I've got to speak to you guys, and, and I want it to be good, and I don't want to mess up. And I feel a lot of anxiety in the days leading up to sermons. And a lot of times my stomach will start doing weird things, and, and I'll have uh, irregular sleep patterns, and, and my body will just kind of get freaked out because I'm really, really stressed. You know, at times I'll, I'll, I'll seem to be full of faith. I'll seem like I have this kind of connection with God, when really internally I am filled with doubt. I'm filled with, with this stress of trying to understand and work out my faith. And so you might see me and think, oh, he seems like he's doing well. He seems like life is good. When really I'm struggling with basic questions like, does God really exist? Does he really hear my prayers? Is the Bible really the Word of God? And I spend hours on hours wrestling with these questions. And it is not a peaceful experience. It's distressing. It's terrifying. It's the stuff that keeps me up at night sometimes. And so I think that, that hopefully I'll just have some kind of aha moment, that if I wrestle enough in my head, if I pour over the same thought over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, that at some point maybe it'll just kind of all make sense. And that things will click and I'll have this, this kind of just amazing clouds opening moment. And I wait and I wait, but the moment doesn't come. And so a lot of times my, my anxiety is what it does is it translates into different stomach issues. And so I've been battling kind of various stomach illnesses uh, for about eight years now. And a lot of it comes from, uh, I have a kind of a, a defect in my stomach, it's called a hiatal hernia, which pretty much means my stomach valve doesn't close properly. And the result of that is, is really bad acid reflux and stomach pain, nausea, constipation, you now see why we need the cranberry poop spray in our home. We always got it on deck. Uh, you, but, you know, as, as, as a 16-year-old, they did an endoscopy because I was having some issues, and they found that my stomach was lined with ulcers, with stress ulcers. And I was diagnosed with this, this hiatal hernia, and, and, and they put me on medication. And the medication helped for a little bit, but it really never made me feel fully better. And actually, a lot of times, it made me feel worse. Now, about seven years after taking this medication, after being prescribed by a doctor over and over again, we found out that I actually should not have been on that medication. 
That doctors really should only prescribe it for about a few weeks or a month at a time, but you should never take it longer than that. And I took it every single day for seven years. And it wrecked my insides. But you see, kind of during this struggle, most days were kind of fine if I could kind of get into a rhythm. If I could get a good amount of sleep, if I could kind of eat my meals at the same time every day and, and not have any major changes, if I ate healthy foods, then I would, it was manageable. I could go throughout the day. But if any of those things changed, so for instance, if we were to travel, if we were to go to a new time zone where I'm kind of eating at different times, my sleep schedule's messed up, my circadian rhythm's kind of off, we're eating more unhealthy food because we're eating out, my stomach would get really bad and, and it would be miserable. And so kind of family vacations, I didn't really look forward to it because it would kind of throw off my whole internal cycle and I would just feel sick the entire time. I remember we had this family vacation in Colorado and I was just so sick and so angry and so distressed and everyone else was having a good time and I just like lashed out at some point and got in this huge fight with my parents and it was over something really stupid like what restaurant we were trying to eat at. I don't remember. But I was just so angry because I hated traveling. I felt like my parents were wasting money flying me out with them just to be a burden. But then I started to notice something interesting. I took this trip to Alaska, and this was kind of in the height of of my stomach issues. We were going to a bunch of different doctors. We couldn't figure out what was going on. And I did this service trip in Alaska. And I was out in the Alaskan wilderness, no electricity, no running water, just living off the land for two weeks. And it was an incredible experience. It was amazing. I'd love to tell you guys more about it. But for some reason, I had no stomach issues. In Alaska, during the summer, the sun doesn't set. It's, it's pretty much bright all day long, 24 hours a day. So my circadian rhythm was off. It was messed up. You have to have blacked out curtains in, in, in the cabins we were standing. We were eating weird food, food that I usually don't eat. But for some reason, my stomach was fine. Then the next summer, I did a service trip, and I went to Philadelphia, and I was there for two weeks. And similar, living in cabins, eating camp food for two and a half weeks, food that should mess you up. That's where I fell in love with corned beef hash. I love corned beef hash. It's one of my guilty pleasures. I ate a lot of that 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 summer. But in a different time zone, in a humid climate, there's no air conditioning. We're in cabins. You just sweat. But for some reason, I had no stomach issues. But right when I got back to California, the issues came back. I remember I took a trip to Yosemite my senior year of high school with, with David Zambrano, one of my best friends. And we camped in my minivan. It was a crazy experience. Again, no stomach issues. You know, just a few months ago, uh, kind of back in, in September... I started to really just, I don't know, I started to really struggle in a lot of ways, just in, in my health, in my faith, in my mind, kind of feeling the quarantine blues a lot of us have felt. And, and my stomach was terrible. It was doing so bad. It was when a lot of the fires were going on, and so I was staying inside more than usual. And, and I was just, my whole body was just wrecked. But then one of my best friends got married, and, and, and I helped plan a little getaway. So we went up to Big Bear, and we stayed in the cabin for two nights. And we're eating unhealthy food and, and, and barely sleeping, and, and I had no stomach issues. I felt amazing. 
But then I come down the mountain and, 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 and get back into the real world, and the issues are right there again. And so for some reason, I realize that when I am immersed in nature, my stomach issues go away. When I get away, my issues go away. You know, I really believe we have this natural connection to creation. I think God created us to need it. For our faith, for our health, for our well-being. You know, I really believe God has given us everything that we need on this earth. And a lot of it is seen by observing his glory, his beauty, the beauty of his creation, but also the beauty of his word. There's this connection between those two things. You know, Psalm 19, this is not just the only place in the Bible that talks about this connection between nature and God's word. This is Isaiah 55. This is actually our, our, our theme scripture. Steve read this on, on Wednesday at the midweek. This is our scream, theme scripture for the West Side Church in 2021. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You know, we get a very similar structure to the psalm. This personification of nature, that the mountains and the hills, they're bursting into songs. The trees of the field, they're clapping their hands. And being this cosmic connection to the nature and God's word. You know, he starts out in verse 10, he says, The rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And then he says, So is my word. My word is the same way. God's word is the same. It comes down onto this earth, it nourishes us, it fills us, and it does not return to him empty. You know what's crazy is this is what the author is describing. He's describing the water cycle. You probably saw a picture like this in elementary school or middle school. You learned about the water cycle, how water evaporates and condenses into the atmosphere and, and then it, it grows and it grows in clouds and then it rains and, and onto mountains and then there's runoff and you get streams and rivers back to the ocean. And you probably learned about all this. 
This is what the author of Isaiah is describing. Water comes down from the sky, comes down from heaven. It has a purpose. It waters the earth, and then it returns, and it is a cycle. You know, what's interesting is if you go ahead and you Google who discovered the water cycle, Google's going to tell you it was a guy named Bernard Palissy in 1580 A.D., And so about 500 years ago, we discovered the water cycle. But the book of Isaiah was written in 740 B.C. And so 2,000 years before Mr. Bernard claimed that he discovered the water cycle, Isaiah was talking about this very idea. That the cycle of nature, the thing that ultimately fuels all nature, all life, is connected to God's word. The cycle of nature and the cycle of God's word are one and the same. And you see, this is what you get as a result of the water cycle. You get waterfalls. Arguably, one of the most beautiful things you can see on earth. A waterfall. Because water is brought up, it's brought to a high place, it's placed on a mountain, and it falls down. And ultimately returns to its original source. And this is a picture of a waterfall on on the southwest coast of Iceland. It's called uh, Selangifoss. And Iceland is known for for amazing waterfalls. And I actually, I have the amazing privilege, I actually got to see this waterfall in person. Uh, I took a trip to Iceland with some friends right after my freshman year of college. And we went and saw all the different waterfalls. And this one was one of my favorites because you can actually walk behind this waterfall. You don't have to just look at it from the front. You can actually get behind it. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm actually I'm going to show you some video that I got while I was in Iceland of some of the various waterfalls that I got to see. The second video, and you forgive me, the second video is a little bit choppy. We had some technical issues, uh, but bear with it. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and play this video, and I want you to just focus on the power of it. Again, I'm not a professional, so it's not super great quality, but, but listen to the power of this water falling. Because this is the same experience that God says we experience when we interact with his word. So I'll go ahead and play this video for you guys.
Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that video. And I really do believe that that scripture is true, that, that God's word is like these waterfalls. Majestic, powerful, intriguing. You know, you can clearly see God's glory in nature. <clears throat> His creation is making a constant proclamation to us. <clears throat> a silent scream pouring forth speech. Revealing knowledge. And when you look at at, at amazing pictures and and amazing videos, you can't help but see God's glory. I mean, how can you deny it? But what about when you can't see it? What happens when we are stuck inside for eight months straight? What happens when, when we're living out our days inside of a box? What then? When the only thing we're surrounded by is painted drywall. And the only way we can see the world is through manufactured light pixels on a screen. A shameful facsimile of real beauty that no 4K TV can truly recreate. What then? How do we see God's glory? How do we see the heavens? How do we hear them as they pour pour forth speech? How do we listen as they reveal knowledge? How do we feel the warmth of the sun? How do we hear the mountains sing and the trees clap with their hands? What do we do when the world is locked down? The simple answer? We have this. Because don't forget, the psalm talks about two beauties. The beauty of creation, the beauty of nature, and then the beauty of this book. Isaiah says the same thing. As water returns to the heavens and gives sustenance, so does God's word for us. As Christians, we have two sources of beauty. Creation and God's word. Which, as the scriptures we just read, says that it refreshes the soul, gives joy to the heart, a light to the eyes. It's more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. That is what you have access to sitting on your table in front of you. God's glory. You know, a text that was as intricately designed as creation itself. And if you don't believe me, then maybe this will help. And this right here is a book. It's called The New Treasure of Scripture Knowledge. It's a really thick, heavy book. And what it is, is it's an outline of all of the cross-references in the Bible. So every theme, every verse, every word, that it appears one and then appears somewhere else in the Bible, 
It lists all of them. And there's over 340,000 references in this book. Any reoccurrence in Scripture. So out of those 340,000, if you take kind of uh, the most obvious, the most obvious themes or, or words or ideas, there's about 63,779 of those. And if you take those and you map them and you connect them and you give a different color to each connection based on their length, you get this. You get this image of a rainbow. This right here is the beauty of the book that you're holding in your hand. One book, 40 different authors, written over thousands of years on three different continents, connected, divinely inspired, intricately formed. The Bible is a beautiful work of art. And how amazing that as a Christian, even though we might be cut off from nature right now, we are not cut off from the beauty of God's Word. From truly seeing His glory. You know, God has created an amazing place for us to live. He's given us everything we need. Both in the physical nature around us and the physical scripture we hold on to. I love you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll hope to see you next week. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.